have to say thank you not only to BJ, but to you as a church family. Uh, It's contagious. Giving is contagious. And that whole spirit is, I believe, uh, infecting, which is a good word, uh, our church family. And it's it's awesome to watch that happen. I want to say thank you for what you did again to help our uh, missionary in Malawi. And people are still coming to Christ over there. I, I told you if you missed last week. A whole congregation now has their very first Bible in their language, thanks to uh, you here at Crossroads. Also, our uh, Operation Christmas Child School uh, shoeboxes uh, over the top of our goal of 275. That's because of, of you. Uh, last week, the partnership cards that were, ter- that were turned in, uh, if you missed it, you still have an opportunity to do that so far through those partnerships. I think we're looking at a church budget next year of around $320,000. Uh, that's great. Not going to quite get us to where we want to go. So you keep praying. And if you weren't able to turn in your card yet, you can give that to Janice. But thank you for uh, listening to the voice of God. This morning, we're going to be looking, ironically, in the book of Daniel. So Alan got us going in the right direction this morning. And we're going to look at the very first chapter. We're not going to get to the story of the lion's den. Maybe sometime in the next 5, 10, 15 years, we will. But we're going to be looking at the first chapter this morning. And uh, uh, before we get to uh, verse 1 and start reading, uh, let me just share a little bit of background for those of you who don't know. The book of Daniel was written in 605 B.C., so about 600 or so years before Jesus was born. This was a, a time in the culture where in places like Mexico, the Mayan civilization, some of you remember studying about the Mayans in school, was flourishing. Greek art and culture was flourishing. A lot of uh, crazy things were happening on the planet at that time. But we find out in chapter 1 that this guy named Jehoiakim, who is uh, the eldest son of Josiah, has been made king of Judah. And this is where we pick up the story. He, by the way, was made king by the Pharaoh of Egypt. His name means Yahweh raises up. But interestingly enough, Yahweh did not raise him up. The Pharaoh raised him up. And gave him that title. And we're going to find out as we look at this chapter how interesting it is when it comes to names. Actually, he was uh, not a great guy. He had squandered a lot of the funds that had come in through taxation and through the government. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. Uh, Not much different than in 2019. He had squandered a lot of funds on his palace that he lived in. And destroyed Jeremiah's writings at the time. Uh, because Jeremiah had talked about Jehoiakim's impending doom to come, and he didn't want any record of that. So that's where we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. So let's read it together. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Interesting phrase there. We'll come back to that. Along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was found no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's court, 
and he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. In verse 5, And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated, remember this, for three years, and at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel he assigned the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. All right, let's stop right there for just a minute. Daniel finds himself a teenager, by the way. I, I love the book of Daniel because for student ministry and young people, this is the guy as a teenager I would look to in the Bible and say, I want to model my life like him. Because he was a bold guy. He's about to be thrown headlong into a whirlwind of, of crazy activity. And he finds himself in front of this official named Ashpenaz. There's a name for your grandchildren to come. Ashpenaz. And Ashpenaz was given some instructions from the king. And we find out, by the way, before we get into those instructions... Just, just a quick thing I want you to notice in verse 2. It says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. I, I've read this story dozens and dozens of times, and again this week as I'm reading it, there's a couple of things new that popped out to me that I wanted to share with you this morning, and that's the first one. God was in charge. Sometimes we read Scripture and we think, Wow, that, that army came in and obliterated them, and where was God? God was in charge. Nothing happened without God allowing it to happen. And the Bible tells us in verse 2 of this chapter that the Lord gave Jehoiakim this land. Why would he do that? Why would he allow him to take over? Well, a lot of reasons. There was a lot of idolatry going on. People had forgotten who God was. And so we find this scenario playing out. And then we find the king looking for some interesting people. And we find a description of what he's looking for in verses 3 and 4. He wanted to take, I believe, the shining light of Judah's future. He's looking for other young men, young teenagers, who are intelligent, who, are, who have no defect, who have understanding, who are smart. Ladies and gentlemen, the tactic of the enemy has not changed in all these years. He still is looking for young people that he can disrupt and detour their lives and destroy our culture. That's why here at Crossroads we think children's ministry and student ministry is important. It's not so we have activities and so we have babysitters. That's not what we're about. It's so that we create a firm foundation along with the Holy Spirit that they understand who God is. Because Satan's tactic is if he can destroy them when they're young, he can wipe out a generation of followers of Jesus. And that was the tactic he was using here in these same verses of Scripture. That's why the king was looking for these young people that he wanted to, quote-unquote, supposedly invest in. And it says in verse 5, he appointed them a daily ration. But then it gets down to verse 6, and we find something very interesting. The commander of the officials assigned new names to them. It's always been interesting to me that as the church... The way that we remember this story is we remember their pagan names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's how I was taught in Bible school. We remember their pagan names, and yet those are not the names that God gave to them in the beginning. Even Daniel, the official, changed Daniel's name to Belshazzar. He changed Hananiah's name, which, by the way, meant 
beloved by the Lord, and he changed that name to Shadrach, which means illumined by the sun god. He changed Michelle's name, meaning who is as God, and it was changed to Meshach, and that means who is like Venus. He changed Azariah's name, meaning the Lord is my help, to Abednego, which means servant of Nego, which is one of the other gods. Isn't it interesting how the world changes the names of things, men and women, to make it more palatable for us to swallow. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed in our culture? Those of us who say we're pro-life know you're anti-abortion. The terms are being changed. I hope you're watching this happen to make it more palatable for us as the church to go, oh, that's not so bad. I went with Heath this week, and my wife was very happy about this because we've been a one-car family for a couple years. We rode over to Gaffney, South Carolina to see a friend of mine to get a vehicle. And he was describing this vehicle to me, and he did not use the word, did you notice? He did not use the word, well, let me show you this used 2006 Toyota. It's not used. No, 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 no. No, it's pre-owned. It's pre-owned. Doesn't that sound better? Let me show you this pre-owned 2000. No, it's, it's used, man. It's got 100,000 miles. It's used. It's used. But what was I doing? I was like, huh? pre-owned, pre-owned. Oh, this is nice. We subtly have the world changing the way things are named. And the bottom line is if we don't call things for what they are in love, we're going to have a hard time living a life of crazy faith. You notice in these verses that the king was looking for these guys so that he could enlist them. He wanted to train them, teach them about culture, have them eat certain things. He wanted to do this for a period of three years. The purpose of this was so he could totally indoctrinate them into his way of doing things. And he ultimately wanted to say, look at me to be the supplier of everything that you need instead of your God. And Satan using that same strategy. He's trying to get us to identify with the way that we reference things in the world. He's trying to get us to feed on the things that the world offers to us. He's trying to educate us in the ways of the world. What does that tell me? It tells me this. The first thing about living a life of crazy faith. If you're going to step out in crazy faith, you will always go against the status quo. Always. Here he is facing the king. Going against the way things are done. Going against the status quo. Not an easy place to be as a young teenager. I cannot imagine. And so during the training time for these young guys, what was supposed to happen is they were supposed to eat the king's choice food, the king's choice drink. Those were his orders. There was to be no exceptions to that. But then we find out something very interesting in verse 8. It says, Daniel made up his mind. New American Sanders says made up his mind. Some translations, I think, the NIV says, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. He was determined. Scriptures tell us he was determined. And if you and I are going to have a life of crazy faith, we too must be determined. To exercise our faith, we've got to be determined. But there's something I noticed for the first time this week. And we could, we could spend an hour, we're not. We're just going to spend a couple minutes 
on this one comment in Daniel. And if there's ever a time I think our world needed to hear this one verse, it's 2019. Here's what it says. He made up his mind he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. Here we go. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Very interesting. He asked Ashpenaz for permission not to defile himself. What does that tell me? I wrote down this word in my Bible. Discretion. Daniel, as a teenager, knew the power of discretion. We don't know that in 2019. With social media, we like to say what we think, how we think, when we want to say it, and blast it out to the world and not worry about the repercussions. Daniel understood discretion. I looked up the word discretion. It says the quality of behaving or speaking in such a way as to avoid causing offense. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't hear me saying this morning, oh, you're talking about watering down the gospel. No, that's not what I'm saying. The gospel is offensive all by itself. But I don't have to present it in an offensive way. And I see a lot of us as believers being offensive in our presentation of the gospel. And then we wonder why people don't want to hear what we have to say. It's because we lack discretion. And Daniel said, you know what? No, I'm gonna, I, there's a lot of ways I could go about abstaining from the food. There's a lot of ways I could go about letting the king know I don't, I'm not going to follow his order. But the way that I'm going to go, the route I'm going to choose, is to ask this commander over me for permission. Interesting. Daniel asked one of the commanders if he could abstain from this food. Verse 8 tells us this. Instead of just doing his own thing. He wanted to honor the commander and the will of God. You know what that tells me about Daniel? He trusted God. He trusted that God could work this out to where this guy, Ashpenaz, would not lose his head because if Ashpenaz went to the king and said, hey, one of your guys down here is saying he's not going to do what you say, the king would probably say, well, I'll cut off your head and I'll find somebody who can go down there and get him to, to stay in line. If you can't do it, I'll get somebody to do it. So Ashpenaz was already a little... A little scared. And yet Daniel believed that the God of the universe could make sure that relationship was worked out and also honor God. I remember a friend of mine, I think I've shared this story with some of you, maybe on Wednesday night, named Foster Christie. He played football for Auburn University. And he told me, he said one time he was at seminary after that, and he said he got this knock at the door, and there was this teenager that lived under them, and she was right in his face. She said, Foster, Foster, I need to talk to you. He said, what is it? She said, I'm in cheerleading. We've got this cheer that we're doing at halftime at the game this weekend. And she said, to me, it has some very prov provocative moves in it. I just don't feel good about it. They're kind of risque. I just don't feel like that honors God. And he said, well, sweetie, what are you going to do? She said, I don't know. He said, well, let's pray about it. They prayed about it. She left. The game was the next weekend. They went to the game. The next week, all of a sudden... Here's a knock at his door. He opens the door. She's right in his face. She says, Foster, i got to show you what happened. i got to show you what happened. He said, okay, great. She walks over to the, to the VCR. Some of you know what that is. Okay, VCR. <laughs> Making sure you're tracking. Puts the tape in. 
and fast forwards it to the halftime show and he says, Jack, I'm watching. It's like on the big screen. He says, I'm watching. I watch them do this routine and then they do the first routine and she's out there and it's okay. He said, they get ready to start the second routine. She runs off of the court. She sits down on the side of the court. They do the risque routine. They get through. She comes running back in and she does the third routine. He starts asking her, he says, how, how did you do that? What, you know, how, what did your cheer sponsor say? Wasn't she upset? She said, no, I just went and told her what I just told you last week when I was here, that I thought that that wouldn't honor God. Could I have permission to sit out that particular routine? And she said, sure, that's fine. A lot of ways sometimes that we can challenge and confront society. Oh, that we could learn a little bit of discretion as followers of Jesus. So let's see what else happened. What was the result of Daniel's conviction not to devile himself with the king's food? We get down to verse 11. Verse 11. Here's what it says. Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them. Ashpenaz listened to them and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, verse 15, their appearance seemed better. And they were fatter than the other youths, the other teenagers who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Verse 17, but as for these youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. What does that say to me? It says to this, not only do you have to have determination, but you have to have dedication. You have to have dedication. Determination is how much you will give or how much you will give up in a certain situation. That's being determined. That's having determination. Dedication is a little different. Dedication is how long will you remain resolute to do what God has called you to do to finish the task. At first glance, you look at this and you may say, well, it's 10 days, right? 10 days. Actually, no, it's not 10 days. Because the Bible says in verse 18, at the end of the days the king had specified, how many days did the king specify? Three years. So for three years, these teenagers did what they thought they should do to honor God for three years. And at the end of that time, their dedication resulted in God being honored and they gained tremendous knowledge during that three-year crash course. But Daniel, I believe, gained something a little more valuable than even knowledge. He gained the wisdom that he needed to step out in God in what we begin to see in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 3. And when he faced the lion's den and faced all the other things he faces in the book of Daniel, it started right here with determination and discretion and dedication. So let's look at verse 19. It says, The king talked with them, and out of them all, but not, not one of them was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. What does that tell me about crazy faith? Last thing is this. If you have crazy faith, 
it will lead you to a great destination. With your determination and your dedication to God and discretion, you can have a great destination, and so did Daniel. Entering the king's personal service, he honored God in the process, denied the king's choice food, and honored God by being determined and dedicated. When his, he and his friends, the Bible says in verse 20, as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers in the world. They had been raised up in status because of their obedience to God. They were presented to the king and entered the king's service. That's what God wants for us today, is to enter his service. Not King Nebuchadnezzar, but his service. I think Daniel teaches us it requires those things of being determined and dedicated and using discretion. And God has great plans for us. So as you contemplate these verses this morning, a few questions for you to ask as we wrap up this morning. Here they are. We'll just pop them up on the screen for you to read along. How determined am I to follow the Lord's commands for my life? What temptations will I forego? Maybe a better word is forsake. In order to honor the Lord. There are the things in my life that I am allowing into my life that are preventing me from being able to step out and be dedicated and determined. What am I willing to give up or to risk in order to do the things that God has called me to do? Am I ready to demonstrate that crazy faith like is described here in these verses? Is there a limit to the lengths that I will go in order to serve Him? Can I be honest with you? That question hits me. Because a lot of times we'll say, well, God, I'll do all the way up to this. And God's going, no, no. You're limiting yourself and you're limiting me on what you are allowing me to do through you. How dedicated are you in this process of discipleship? Would you ask yourself that question this morning and maybe you find yourself here today and you're thinking, I would love to be like Daniel. Give me faith like Daniel in the lion's den. Give me confidence. And you know what I've discovered, my dear friends, when it comes to my own Christian life, when I'm lacking crazy faith, that's ultimately what Alan sung about is ultimately what it comes down to that I'm missing. Confidence. My confidence in the one true God to do above and beyond immeasurably what I can ask or think. I can quote that verse and say it, but do I really believe it is my confidence in him? And Paul's confidence was, was definitely in Jesus. He said in Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing that he who began the work in me will bring it to completion into the day of Jesus Christ. Not in his own strength, but confident in Jesus. I hope that's where you find your confidence this morning. If you're a child of God, that's where it needs to be. If you're not a follower of Jesus, that's where it needs to be. If you're breathing, that's where it needs to be. Because we can't do anything in and of ourselves this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Daniel. Thank you for the example of crazy faith that he is to us. Lord, would you help us to be determined? Rise up within us, Holy Spirit, and give us strength to be determined. Forgive me, Lord, sometimes where I think I've been determined if I have to walk across the parking lot in the rain to get into church. That's determination. That's not biblical determination. Forgive me. Would you help us to be dedicated in our conversation with friends and family that don't understand this thing about following after you, Jesus? Would you give us discretion?
Help us to care more about the relationship than being right. We already know we're right. We know that you're the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, help us to use discretion with our friends who aren't there yet. Would you give us love for them the way that you have love for them? Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this place today who's not said yes to you, Jesus, that they would find their confidence in you this morning. And that is our prayer. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand. If you need to make a decision for Jesus this morning, I'll be at the front. I'm going to ask my friend Heath to be here as well, one of our pastors. To grab our hand, we'd love to pray with you. If you need to make a decision for Jesus this morning, this altar is open and we're here to pray with you.